Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. It's the last show of the year, Friday, December 30th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker once again, here to talk about racing in New York and California, the two places that I uh, follow the most. Well, obviously there's a lot of Kentucky in there too, but uh, very excited this time of year especially to be uh, diving in to these cards on either coast as we get ready to wrap up the year and to talk about both of these cards with me, we bring in a man who's worked, you know, from many places, including in the moneypodcast.com, where he covers the Naira races regularly. You also might see his work uh, doing expert picks for our friends over at uh, Twin Spires. He is Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on? You know, a little of this, a little of that, Pete, ready to wind the year down and move on with it. I got some good reaction to the podcast we did the other day with Jay Privman going over the going over the Eclipse Awards. I still haven't sent in my my final, final ballot, going back and forth on a few things. But that was a fun chat, and I recommend that people go back and, and check it out if they haven't if they haven't already. I, I think that's a, a show worth revisiting for sure. I, I presume you enjoyed it as much as I did? I did. I actually listened to half of it uh, driving yesterday and enjoyed it. I tried to listen back just to, you know, see how we sounded, see what I could do, make maybe you know, do a little bit better, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it was very enjoyable. I, uh, I thought it was a – fun topic and those that are interested in something like that i think we covered it pretty thoroughly and and you know if you're of that persuasion to put up put together your own eclipse ballot you can certainly compare it to what uh, we talked about and see where you land i think it sounds like good advice let's dive in we'll start off in new york and then we'll wend our way out to california and at aqueduct we're going to talk about this uh this pick six and it's a it's a mandatory uh it's a mandatory payout uh, pick six you know uh there's no carryover going in, but uh, it all it cannot carry over from one year to a, to another just with the statutes in New York. I don't know if that makes it more appealing or not, uh, but it's something to, to note anyway as we kick it off. And we start off with these three-year-old fillies, $50,000 claimers, going seven furlongs on the dirt. Now, Nick is in the process of putting his analysis for the website together. He may end up uh, switching some picks around and whatnot. So we're just going to talk through the races at a fairly high level and then make sure to go back to the website or check your In The Money Plus subscription for the for the final, final picks graded into A's and B's and, and whatnot. How do you imagine you're going to get this thing kicked off, Nick? You know, it, it looks like in many ways this race boils down to three horses, depending on how you feel about Mama's Gotta Run. I think Mama's Gotta Run is a conversation unto herself. She is clearly the horse to beat. And um, and if you believe that she's going to be able to run back to some of these recent efforts, then she'll be very tough to handle. She has speed, which she can use to protect this inside post. And Kendra Carmouche has been riding incredibly well. Robbie Falcone off to a little bit of a slow start at the meet. But you know, I think he envisioned that this is probably about the level this horse would be comfortable at when he claimed her for 16000 So I, I'm, I'm looking for her to, to probably win this race and could see using her, maybe not as a lone A, but as an A along with the three alarm clock. It, it is worth noting that alarm clock has really improved by leaps and bounds since she got claimed by Norman Follett. She came right back and won a one other than... And in the starter allowance race last time, they were going around the turn, and I thought to myself, is alarm clock really going to win again? And... You know, she had fought with the other speed, put them away, and then ultimately ended up finishing third behind customer experience and Honey Money. Honey Money came back and won yesterday. So I think there's a reason to upgrade that one. The other horse is Diamond Collector, who's in for attack for the first time. But it is it is clear, Pete, that Diamond Collector, from a speed figure perspective, is going to have to improve a lot. 
she she gives up a lot to these horses and uh she her her biggest uh benefit might be sitting outside of the other speed as as she has a little bit more tactical uh type of early foot we see it very similarly i had the one and the three listed as the ones i wanted to talk about thinking mama's got to run could be the best of speed after finding that water a little too deep last time as you uh, intimated this just looks like the right spot and She's, another thing I liked is that she has shown the ability to stalk if other speed wants to go on a mission. And then Alarm Clock, another one better spotted than last time. And I thought there's a world in which Alarm Clock just ends up with an absolutely perfect trip stalking the speed from the second flight. I was going to try to get out one and three. Nick has the one, three, and a little bit the four here in race number four, which moves us along to our fifth race, $16,000 claimers going six and a half on the dirt. And this was another spot where I wrote down two I wanted to talk about, starting with the nine, Bali's Shade, taking a sensible drop for the third start off the layoff. And another I thought might get the sort of right kind of outside stalking trip the way I see this race playing out the three jet speed made a ton of sense facing the easiest field in a long time. And I thought there was some scenario where jet speed can just shake loose in a race that doesn't look to have a ton of it. I was going to play around with the nine and three. What is your inclination here? Yeah, totally agree on jet speed does look like a potential major pace edge there. And uh, there's not a lot of, of early zip in here whatsoever. That was a much, much tougher field last time out as well that he met on the slop here at aqueduct. I think the other horse that I wanted to, to throw in was the six can't beat me who was in for attack for the first time since getting to uh, Bruce Brown's barn. And, you know, this is a race. I don't really know what to do with Pete. One whirlwind ride came back and won his next start. He was the runner up in there, but he was first off acclaimed by Rob Atras. So I, I, you know, I don't want to put too much into that, but this horse got off to a relatively slow start. He ended up getting himself into position. The field just totally came together in the final furlong. And, and I think you and I are, are of the similar opinion that when fields come together like that late, it's usually due to a lack of quality, right? It's, it's generally not, those aren't the kind of races that you want to, you want to highlight as good comeback spots. With that said, you know, Can't Beat Me was in the midst of his run when he had to steady. I don't know how much better than 50 was going to finish. Maybe he could have been third. I think he had a little bit too much to do to win that race. But with his ascending speed figures, he's got a, a very nice thoroughbred pattern as well. I'll give him a little bit of a nod here as a horse that I want to use at what should be a, a pretty decent price. Um, similar situation for Amadeus Music, who edged him late. The difference was that Amadeus Music had no traffic. So he was just wide, making a move, and, and ended up running well in there. This is a race that, on the uh, looking at all the different speed figures, is quicker on the thoroughbreds. Worth noting, not that we're giving them a plug for any reason, but uh, this tomorrow is the last day of the free thoroughbred promotion at the end of the year that they do as kind of a a, a holiday present to uh, horse players. The only other one that I would would consider throwing in is the one Brajol, who is uh, who I very much enjoy eating. Um, <laughs> Who's a new gelding coming back off a brief the dish, not the horse to clarify the dish, not the horse. Exactly. No, I'm, I'm not French. Um, but Brajol is a horse that ran well in his final start at Saratoga. His only start at Saratoga behind Cathedral Beach. He shows up as a new gelding. It has not been a typical uh, 2022 for the Orlando Noda outfit, but this is a horse who at least has races that you can point to and say, oh, if he runs back to that, he'll be awfully tough to handle. I think you make a really good case for some of those others in here. I would not mind using it all if you can go a little bit deeper. Let's talk about this sixth race, Nick. Three-year-old and up New York-bred fillies in an allowance race going six furlongs. Field of 10. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on this one? 
Yeah, you know, you wonder, and, and these races are made up of, a, generally, the fields are comprised of horses that face each other very frequently. And so there, there's a lot of similarity. There were a, a few in here that either ran or were entered in the December 15th, one other than. That was won by Karamoka. That was a race run at a really, really strong early pace. And Carbon likely ended up taking the worst of it, being closer to the pace than she really needed to be. And it sort of took some of the starch out of her late because her thing is to be a, a one-run closing type. So this looks like a spot to meet. One of the horses that I liked that day that ended up getting scratched was Cont Hurry Love. And, and so she now draws inside as opposed to having an outside post that day. And I felt like that Rebo's Valentine race, you wanted horses that were anywhere near the pace in there. And Cont Hurry Love was really all over it before tiring late. So I'm, I'm looking for an improved effort from her. And I don't mind that she might be somewhat under the gun from this inside post, as I think that'll really bring out the best in her. I'll tell you the other horse, Pete, that I absolutely have to use at the morning line price, and that's the seven, Big Bean Christine. I mean, this is a horse that has now won two in a row. I understand that they were against significantly lesser. This is a big-time claim by Ray Handel and, and, and a barn that has been going very, very well in the second half of 2022. So I'm not going to be surprised at all if this horse takes an appreciable step forward. Those will be my main couple. Royal Currency did step up with a big effort last time out. I'm not sure I completely trust the speed figure, but I do think if she's able to run that kind of race again, she can be a major player. So I'm going to throw cast a wide net here and use in various capacities the 2, 3, and 7, and I'll probably have some backups as well. All right, 2, 3, and 7 on the A line, and it sounded like other ones you gave a decent shout to would include the, the 1, 6, and 8, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I have my notes uh, correct. But again, you can send out final ideas to us later that we can send out to the plus people but uh, i'll scroll that down for the time being i actually yeah the the, the six cinderella's cause i thought definitely deserved another chance at this level just because of that fast pace she attended last time i think a bit more of a hold-up ride might suit here i thought overall cinderella's cause has some competitive numbers and i thought would be a good price and i saw everything for sure you said about carbon very consistent figure wise and just a horse that shows plenty of interest in running, something I like at this level. It just looks to me like a rising four-year-old may not be done improving. And then you already made the the case I wanted to try to make on Big Bean Christine. One of the things I've noticed about Ray Handel and how he plays the claiming game is how typically he'll take a horse that has good early speed and they end up with better early speed in his uh, in his program. Now he's only had this horse for the 30 days who knows but you know just one i felt like was worth taking a shot on it anything in the vicinity of the 10 to 1 of the morning line so we're both a little bit spready there in race number six let's see what we think about race number seven where we've got an allowance race going a mile on the dirt uh with uh, some entries to worry about i actually really like a horse in here um it just trips up the six king of dreams spent time on what looked to be not such a good inside last time and then i thought had a really bad trip two back not breaking ending up in a tough spot between horses previous form to that puts king of dreams right here and i think maybe could be a decent price you know the five to one of the morning line would work for me and then it looked to me like the five win it and the seven curly's uh excuse me curly's curlin's wisdom were the right ones to go through or use as alternatives in the horizontals how do you see race seven you know, I wish we were going to get a bit better price, but it's awfully tough not to like win it. I think at least as a horse that you want to give some consideration, I, I will I will tease David Aragona by saying that I think he may have made this horse three to one 
because of his affinity for him. Um, I, I don't know if he's going to be quite that short, but he got completely eliminated at the start last time and then made a huge move early to reach contention in the discovery and, and looked as if he was going to hang in there all the way into the final couple of furlongs before he tired. I think the mile is probably his best trip and obviously a cleaner go of it is going to help his chances substantially. So when it would be my top pick and, and, you know, I think the decision that you have to make with the other horses, including King of Dreams, the, the main two that you have to decide on are Curlin's Wisdom and I Am the Law. Curlin's Wisdom has gotten into very, very good form of late. He was a game winner last time out in somewhat laborious fashion, stalking a slow pace and gradually wearing down patient capital. He just keeps running well. And Linda Rice is a trainer, obviously, whose horses this time of year do perform consistently. So I'm looking for him to run well again. I wonder if she's gone to the well a little bit too much with this being his third start already in December. And where did I Am the Law's last race come from? Right. I mean, he was he was terrific going a mile and an eighth. Was it was it helped by the fact that he set the pace and was dictating terms a bit? I don't know. It was contested the whole way. He ended up shrugging off Curlin's wisdom late. Um, the favorite in there was a Todd Pletcher horse who did no running at all. So I, I'm not sure what to make of I Am the Law. I'd probably just use him as a backup because I'd rather focus on horses like Winnet and, and the King of Dreams and use Curlin's wisdom as a backup as well. All right, that makes uh, that makes an awful lot of sense to me as a way to approach. Yeah, for me, I was I was just envisioning that I am the law might not have an easy as easy of a time of it in, in terms of not that it was super slow early last time, but it just seemed like it might be a tougher situation um, this time around and what I thought was a tougher group overall. But uh, I respect that idea, especially uh, you know as a backup in a race where there's a lot of different ways to go. Let's talk race eight. We've got uh, stakes action in the Queens County, um, a field of 11 going postward with law professor listed as the five to two favorite on the morning line. Uh, I'll spoiler alert. I think I'd just go ahead and take that uh, as the old fastest horse in the, in the race angle. But how do you see the stake on Saturday at Aqueduct? Yeah. You know, it's, there's basically one horse in this race that if is scratched, it really changes the complexion pretty substantially. And that's Thomas Shelby. So we've seen Thomas Shelby entered before and scratched. He was actually entered in the Woodward and scratched out of there. And the reason why I say that is because if he does not run, then Seafoam is in a much more advantageous spot as far as the pace goes. If Thomas Shelby goes, I think we're going to be dealing with a pretty strong pace and that's going to set up late runners. Ideally, like a law professor, also forewarned, who I think can make up some ground in here and has performed well at Aqueduct in the past. And it would certainly help Unbridled Bomber, who's been a winner of two straight, now steps back in stakes company. He's tried stakes foes on multiple occasions in the past with little to no success. I wonder a little bit if it's a Lasix type of situation, but there is no doubt that he is very, very sharp at the moment. And Jimmy Ryerson, to me, has always been an underrated trainer. With all that said, I mean, Law Professor's last few races clearly make him the one to beat. He certainly didn't embarrass himself in the dirt mile last time out at Keeneland. So he's a deserving favorite and a horse that I think fits this race quite nicely as they've reinvented him of late as a dirt horse. So he, he's the one to beat without question. Um, I, I would say as far as making a, a top selection, I'd probably go a little bit off the wall with forewarned and try and get him home, running back to that big Excelsior win back in April. Now, always always have to take a chance to pick your eye, Pete. I mean, I like where you're going with that uh, for, for sure. And I think I might leave some seafoam in there. I mean, I – Law Professor, definitely, you know, great spot for the return to the races. And like we said, just um, best races are faster than these and should be in a great spot positioned in front of those deeper closers and able to get the first run on on speed that might back up. But 
Seafoam, of all the runners in here, feels like the one who might benefit the most from the extra ground today. And then you throw in that that was a really nice race uh, the last day in the Rob. I think that, that might get underappreciated by the market. I, I don't really have a problem with anybody using Seafoam at 10 to 1 or better in the spot. I, I don't think I'm just being a homer as I say that, Nick. Would, would, you, would you have any eights on your tickets? Yeah, definitely. I, I in fact this is this is the interesting speed figure quandary because if you're looking at and, and I don't have access to Ragazin's, uh, but if you're looking at buyer figures, time form US figures, and thoroughgraphs, which is generally what I do, the only figure that has the Alex M. Rob slow is buyer. The the thoroughgraph number for a seafoam last time out, and I know he went he kind of angled out a little bit wider around the turn. That's something that, that Kendrick does a lot of times, but he got a two which um, is, is in line with races he'd run in the past. For example, he got a two in the Evan Shipman. Um, Law Professor got a two in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. Now, he got a negative one when he was second behind Life is Good, but my point being that he is as fast as the best horses in this race on Thoroughgraph and and is is the exact same way on Time From U.S. We got a 117 Time From U.S. figure last time out. Law Professor got a 118. So it looks generally in situations like this, and I don't have any data to, to draw on specifically most of what I'm seeing right now is anecdotal. When two figures align and one doesn't, the two figures that align are usually more reliable. So I think that Seafoam is a far more dangerous horse in this race than the 15 to one morning line would indicate. The other thing that we know from having just a little bit of inside knowledge on this horse is that Michelle John Julio, um, who picked up a, a win yesterday in the nightcap, believed that he would rate more effectively with blinkers. And he did. You know, he, previously when he had been off the pace, he had just given it up altogether, um, but he was far more interested in slugging it out last time out. So I think he's a horse that's still, even at seven years old, a full horse is still one that has some ability and can make noise in here. Yeah, maybe sits off of a ride with Biden and a Thomas Shelby duel and gets the perfect trip and enjoys that added ground. Definitely one that I'm going to have on tickets. Five, eight for me. That brings us to our nightcap, $25,000 claimers going a mile on the dirt and a big full field signed on here. Nick, how are we going to get paid? Boy, this is a fun one. You know, I, I dug through this race and I actually, I handicapped the cards backwards. This is probably the race I've done the most work on. Um, and, and I kept coming back to the same thing over and over, which is really not a revelation to anybody, but rough sea is going to be tough. And the only thing that's a little worrisome is that rough C is about one to a million to get claimed. So you wonder why Bruno Tesori is willing to get rid of him. Perhaps it's just the idea that, you know, hey, we've gotten about everything out of him that we can. He's banked $211,000 this year with five wins, and it's time for us to just move on because, uh, he, I mean, he has a certainty to get claimed. He is a horse that's in form at the moment. He doesn't need conditions because he will have a ton of starter allowance conditions by running in this race. I mean, this is a horse that you could see being at something like the claiming ground, right? I mean, it was 10 to 1 in the Mammoth Cup. So he also feels like he's going to be a lot less than 7 to 2 when all is said and done. There's plenty of pace in here, and uh, and he, he should be very, very tough to beat. The other horses that are dangerous to me are the 8 Optic Way, first off a claim by Jose Camejo. The problem that he's going to run into is that there's a lot of speed in here. Now, Javier Castellano was very aggressive with him last time out, and I wonder if Manny might be a little bit more willing to rate 
early given the way this pace should unfold. Camejo is so good off the claim. And I'll give you a bomber that I think has a shot, the seven hammer and hammer, uh, now in the care of uh, Gustavo Rodriguez, who looks like a horse that can certainly be in a in a decent position late. I thought he had a somewhat viable excuse last time out against slightly lesser. He also prefers a fast track, so hoping for better weather, I think he can uh, he can be a factor as well. Very interesting, I think, like vertical horse hammer and aimer. I ultimately didn't put in my horizontal themed picks, but I definitely get that idea of passing some tired horses late and running on to a third or a fourth. You didn't mention the one that I put on top, the three dust devil. Um, you, I'm looking at that last race, produced five next out winners. And what I really like is that several of those runners improved their figures significantly. And I was thinking that it could be Dust Devil who proves to be that best closer in a, in a race full of uh, speed, getting weight, etc. I thought it was a little bit interesting in here. You made the excellent case on Rough C. I thought Musical Heart, just on numbers, was another I'd probably throw in in a backup capacity. But I, I was trying to make Dust Devil in this spot. Are you actively against or just another horse to you? No, you know, I never know what to do with these horses that are voided claims and they come back at right. lower levels. But I know he ran into a buzzsaw last time out. Evan got really good for uh, for Chad Summers and won a couple of races. His his best races obviously make him a contender. So I have no big argument against him. He should be able to work out a, a relatively decent trip um, as far as the pace goes. Just going to be a question of if Matty Oliver can get a path and avoid getting into any kind of traffic. Have you been impressed with her? I mean, I, I, it feels like an apprentice for whom uh, horses run, you know, I, I, I've liked some of these long shots to, that I've seen that she's been able to get into the number. What, what do you think skills wise? Um, I haven't been unimpressed, um, which is sort of a punting answer, but she's not bad. Yeah. She's not bad. She's raw, uh, which yeah. a 10 pound boat sure. should be. And sure. yeah, but she's, yeah, she seems to be able to get a horse to the lead, which I think is huge. She doesn't seem overly married to the rail, which is usually a problem for apprentices as well. Um, I think she's I think she's solid. I think Jason Wyas, who came up recently, is very good as well. And um, I think each of them are going to get a lot of opportunities this winter to uh, to show really what they're made of. So it's good to see a couple of apprentices up there. And, you know, apprentice jockeys coming into New York in the winter will always make me think of the inner track and, you know, who was the good, good bug that would come up and years and years ago. You know, I remember when Javier Castellano was a, 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 a mainstay in South Florida and he would come to New York for the winter. And, you know, there were, there were jockeys that would come up so that they could, could take advantage of the, uh, of the winter and the better opportunities before they became regulars. So yeah, it's, it's a good time of year for a rider that's looking to, to get their feet wet and get, get a foothold in the colony to do it. I like that rawness in the sense of, it seems like she already does some things right. And she's got a lot of room for, for improvement still just through the natural course of experience. Well, she has a good agent too. So she'll get good mounts. I, I believe Joey Migliori is her agent. So, um, you know, he's going to get her on live horses, which, you know, Joey did a great job with Trevor. And I think he's now uh, with Trevor uh, convalescing. He has uh, Katie Davis's book. And and look, I mean, from a limited number of opportunities, Katie's ridden well, too. And, and, you know, she was she was always a rider that uh, that that did well when she went to Maryland. So I think you'll you know, it won't be surprising to see uh, to see her have some success, you know, now with uh, with Trevor on the sidelines. Let's head out to the West Coast and Santa Anita, and we'll start with their very first race. And I'm curious if this is something we've seen the first two, the first uh, two of the first days at Santa Anita, and might continue 
throughout the meet um, with some of the bigger ticket races coming earlier in the simulcast window. This one takes place at 3 Eastern, the grade 2 Joe Hernandez. We've got a field of 11 going postward in this spot. Nick, how did you uh, how did you see it? Can smooth like straight rebound going down the hill? You know, that's going to be the question. The other thing here is fingers crossed, but the weather forecast for tomorrow looks terrible. Um, so hoping that, that I, I wondered, I wondered if it was a combination of them wanting to run some of these races earlier and maybe trying to get this downhill race in before the, the weather, but they're expecting over an inch of rain, which uh, hopefully we can get that maybe later on in the afternoon and evening. This is a fascinating race as, as it's came together and you have smooth like straight, who's looking for redemption off of the, the poor uh, Breeders' Cup mile effort, but then also the poor Seabiscuit. And and I think that was what concerned me a little bit more was not that he ran poorly at Keeneland, but he came back and did not perform well in the Seabiscuit. This is a horse who, of course, was entered for a, a maiden, I'm sorry, a, a prep race for the Breeders' Cup and ended up getting scratched and went into the Breeders' Cup off a little bit of a layoff. The problem that he's going to run into to me, Pete, is that he's he's facing some specialists as far as, as sprinting goes and down the hill goes. And and mainly I'm talking about Laneway, Gregorian Chant, and what makes Sammy run. Um, what makes Sammy run was a really game winner of the Eddie D2 starts back, now goes second off a layoff and looks to be in position where he should get a jump on some of the closers, really should have um, a, a major say in the outcome. And then you have uh, you have Lane Way, who's been awfully consistent, really good second in the Eddie D. And I'll admit, I have a thing for Gregorian Chant. I felt I bet him in the Jiper, and I felt like he was inside in the turf sprint at Churchill in May, and ended up being in the wrong part of the racetrack that day. And then he was outside in the Jiper when you wanted to be inside. I don't love that he hasn't really run that great in three starts since, but I'm going to toss the wicker in the lure because they're not really where he wants to be distance wise. And I think he had some excuses in the Eddie D so slight upset for me with Gregorian Chan. All right. Four and one sound like the numbers you're going to be focusing on there. I was going to give smooth like straight this try down the hill. My excuse for last time was just broke poorly rushed up and just seems like a horse looking at pace figures might be ready for the turn back. Look, Maybe the form is just declining and I'm making excuses, but this also seems like the kind of situation uh, where it could just wake a horse like this up and he could really trip out the way I'm seeing it play out. So we'll see. Uh, Hopefully I'm not getting on to uh, a soccer horse here in the grade two, uh, Joe Hernandez, but I'm a big fan of this horse and we'll see how it plays out on Saturday afternoon. More stakes action at four o'clock Eastern race. Number three is the grade three Frankel appropriately enough. For three and up fillies and mares going a mile and an eighth on the turf field of 11. Who'd you come up with? Uh, you know, this is a good race and, and one that I'm definitely very excited about as far as the way it unfolds goes, because there's really not a lot of speed in here. And, and I was quite surprised that Flavian Pratt was as uh, reluctant to get some speed out of her Alley last time out in a lesser race. And that ended up really just ruining any chance that she had to make noise in there. I picked Closing Remarks, who's coming back off a long layoff. She was last seen in the Santa Ana back in March, finishing behind Queen Goddess. Trainer Carla Gaines has very good numbers with turf routers off 180-plus day layoff, 17% with a 486 ROI over the last five years. And I felt like this horse has consistently run well. I think this is exactly the right distance. And I'm hoping for a clean trip from off the pace, especially if uh, if somebody wants to go up and push Burgoo Alley. I think with that big straightaway in front of him, it's likely that someone ends up showing a little bit more speed. Queen Goddess is the one to beat on paper, no doubt about it. Michael McCarthy has a 524 ROI with turf routers off 180-plus day layoffs, but only two wins. So you know what that means. There was a big price winner in there. 
this Philly got really good at the end of 21 into 22 before being sidelined and, you know, tabbed that workout report to see what they say about how she's training coming back into it. Cause obviously her best would make her a major contender. She was one of the two that I had on my list, uh, this uh, queen goddess, but I, I put this, the nine Avenue to France on top. I feel like this is a significant drop in class from the grade one matriarch to this grade three. And I felt like Avenue de France might have been a little bit better than it looked there, moving into what was a pretty fast part of that race, understandably flattening out. And then I like the fact that her best race came with a fast pace going nine. Maybe that's the setup again here that we're going to get. And yeah, I'm not letting uh, Queen Goddess beat me. Just uh, pretty obvious. Could just prove to be the best of that speed. Is she ready off the break, I guess, is the question. But looking at workouts, looking at the trainer stats, listening to the Mike McCarthy, Michael McCarthy quotes, it sounds like all systems are go. Nine and ten for me. I like Nick's case on the seven and will be including as well. Let's move ahead to the start of the pick five, Nick. Now, I only did the other stake race, but let's have you run us through your thoughts on this one since we uh, we have this opportunity what do you think about this uh, two-year-old maiden race race number five yeah so one of my i guess what you, if you want to call them watch list horses or bet backs whatever whatever wording you want to use from the delmar meet was was the, th- uh, the horses the three in the fifth race valiancer and and that had to do with the fact that two starts back valiancer ran in a mile race at santa anita where the pace was suicidal it was extremely fast he ended up uh, getting close to it and, and battled it out to some extent before giving way late. First piece who won that race came right back and ran in the uh, Cecil DeMille on closing day at Del Mar and uh, didn't really run well because they surprisingly decided to rate him too. They rated Valianter into submission last time out. It ended up being a slow pace. I was pulling my hair out what's left of it <laughs> as they went down the back stretch and made a move around the turn to reach contention. I thought there's no way this horse could run this well. Had a big exact underneath the eventual winner, and he ended up tiring late. I said to myself, I can't wait to bet this horse back in a mile at Santa Anita. Hopefully he gets an inside post and he can show speed. So I saw him in the, on the overnight, and I was like, oh, thank God Valianter is running early in the meet. And I realized it was at six furlongs. I don't love the cutback. Uh, it's going to be a Je- in Jeff Mullins, I trust type of situation. I'm almost, a, you know, I'm not going to be all that upset if this race gets washed off the turf in the event that he might come back in a route. Um, but I have to bet him. I mean, he's he's just a horse that I'm too I'm too married to in terms of being ready for him to run anywhere to not pick him and and get after him a little bit. So I picked him on top. I picked the six phosphorescent second, who's a son of City of Light, new to the care of Michael McCarthy. Ran once at Keeneland for Ben Colebrook. The dam was a stakes winner on turf. Her dam was a, a mare named Anaba's creation, who uh, once stretched Zenyatta all the way to the wire in a race at Santa Anita. So there's a lot of of back type of form that I think you could warm up to, uh, both on turf and synthetics. And then the other horse that I picked in the money was Las Mew from uh, – Phil D'Amato's barn on the outside. He has some incredible numbers with European shippers, really of any type. He's a little bit better with sprinters than routers, but he's done extremely well with these. And if you look, you know, every one of them, regardless of how horrible their international form looks, is a short price on the morning line because obviously uh, the the morning line makers throughout uh, the state of California have realized these horses just all seem to perform. And he's got Flavian Pratt on this uh, British bread. Yeah, I, I think that's a very compelling case on the nine there, and, and I I definitely think you're in the right idea to just stick with Valiance or two on the cutback. I mean, the race two back suggested maybe a cutback would be would be fantastic, so we'll see how it plays out there. I, I'm definitely just looking at it quickly here, going to be messing around with uh, messing around with the nine. 
and uh, we'll probably throw in your other runners as well. Race number six is a starter allowance going seven on the dirt with a field of eight. What numbers would be on your pick five tickets here? So this is another horse that I thought was really interesting trip-wise in this race, the four oncoming, who was moved from turf to dirt by Reed Saldana last time out. And this race, this was the penultimate race on closing day at Del Mar. The, the pace was solid. The field really came together around the turn. And the eventual winner, Tis Quantum, got to jump on Brightleaf and made a big move to reach the lead. It was Kenta Zormo's first win back. And uh, and it really, you know, Brightleaf was totally out of position when that move started. And, and so he couldn't run him down. Well, oncoming broke poorly, was behind both of those horses, made this wild middle move to go up and reach contention, and then flattened out late. It was a, a really, you know, uncharacteristically bad ride by Flavian Pratt. And I don't exactly know what we've gotten in two dirt starts from from oncoming, because he's got a huge excuse last time, and his dirt race in June of, of 2022 came against way better competition, and he chased the pace and really didn't run that bad, and earned a speed figure that puts him in the ballpark in here. So I picked him over Brightleaf uh, and the six Houndstooth. I would use all three in the pick five. Houndstooth maybe with a slight edge pace-wise, having been a bit more consistent sprinter. I think the cutback will uh, will likely help the two routers, Brightleaf and oncoming going seven-eighths. But if Houndstooth is ridden a little bit aggressively by Ramon Vasquez, I think that could certainly put him in a pretty advantageous position as well. So I'd use all three equally, but I'd definitely be looking to bet oncoming to win if you can get anywhere around that 10 or 12 to 1 morning line. Race number seven is a maiden claimer at the $50,000 level going six furlongs on the turf. What do you think about this one, Nick? I thought this was a race where you could get a little clever as well. The 11 side-by-side -side is dropping in for a tag off of two tries against Maiden Special Weight Foes, where she really showed good speed two back. Last time out, a little bit uh, held up early. Phenom ended up pulling clear late to win that race by open lengths. Won her next start as well. This is just a good drop. This is a horse who likely needs to be in for a tag, and I think being outside, she has the uh, the benefit of, of being able to stalk a little bit if things present themselves that way. The seven real fires, clearly the one to beat in for a tag for the first time. Good fourth last out after a poor start, got into position and, and really didn't disgrace herself at all. She's still now improving and finally ran back to that good debut in that most recent start. And the 10 Caterini has been good at this level. You know, no real excuse last time out chasing home the eventual winner along the inside, but there's no doubt that there's been some improvement in her form of late. And, and I want to be delicate in saying it because he's a veteran rider who's done some good things over the years. I'm going to bet a lot of Tyler Bay's off horses at, at Santa Anita because he, he went on such an outrageously long losing streak. I think his confidence was totally shot in Southern California. And this double bug, Aguilar, looks like he can ride a little bit. All right. That's interesting cases on all three of those, especially side by side, making that wire case. And I can definitely see it 15 to one on the morning line. That will be a cause for celebration. If we can get that one in, let's move on to race number eight. And we've got the stakes action again, the grade three Las Flores for the Phillies and mares three and up. Going six furlongs on the dirt. Where did you land, my friend? You know, the question here, Pete, to me is, what are you doing with Samurai Charm? Who comes in a winner of two straight at Zia, and both with Lasix. And it has to make you a little bit concerned that the best races this filly has run have been with Lasix. Now, I get it. She ran second in the Tranquility Lake behind Teddy's Barino without Lasix. So maybe that's an argument that's, that's a little bit... Uh, a little bit of a fallacy. However, it's clear that she's been better when she's been able to stalk outside in races where she has Lasix. Well, now she's inside. She's never really run that great at Santa Anita. And I know two of them have been against much better horses. 
this just doesn't feel like a great spot. And, and, and I think it's going to require Flavian Pratt to ride her very, very aggressively out of the gate in order to try and get the lead. And I just don't know if that's the right setup. I picked a seven lady T. She looked like she was in a home and cooled out winner in the stretch last time out before Violet Runner held her off gamely. I mean, Lady T is a horse that has frequently run second. So she might again, put in that good late bid and come up just a little bit short, but I thought she was interesting. She ran well in the summertime Oaks here back in June. So I'm not worried at all about her racing without Lasix. And I felt like they could move a little bit in here, uh, maybe on a cop on the cutback show, some of the speed she did sprinting. Manarelli looks like a horse who's been quickened up by sprinting on the turf last time out. Doris May's got a little bit of speed as well. So, Slight upset for me with Lady T, and even though I made a, a little bit of an anti-case on Samurai Charm, I'm not going to be surprised if uh, I'm going to use her in a multi-race play. 7-5-2 and two in multis for you there. No, that's exactly right. And I like Dana Kappa. I think it's she's an interesting candidate on the cutback, and I just I love that improved speed and improved finish. She's just improving type, who I think could get a great trip sitting off the speed in this spot. We'll see if. Anna Kappa or Lady T can get it done for us in the feature. And then, Nick, we'll bring it back to you for the key question in this allowance race to close things out, race number nine. How are we going to get paid? Yeah, another turf sprint, another competitive race, and another one where I like a price horse. So either I'm way off or uh, or maybe some of these morning lines were a little high. But I thought the three Coduello was very interesting. He was a good third, two back in a race where Motorius came over the top and ran down, he and Gimme the Loot. Um, and if you go back to that Santa Anita effort from June with Umberto Rispoli, where he won a starter allowance race, he doesn't have to run much better than that, I think, to be a major contender here. So I gave him the nod at what should be a good price. Love the versatility and that he can be involved early if the pace is a little bit moderate, but can also sit just off of it and make noise as well. I thought the six, a square cat was interesting. His win two back was very good. He did chase a relatively slow pace that day, but really, and he had a great trip, but he won powerfully and looks like a horse who could fit at this level. The seven exceeds speed limit. Two back was a good winner down the hill. He's done his best work against Calbreds, but I think is a horse that is deserving of a little bit of a shot here. And I didn't think that class-wise there was anybody that really scared me enough to say, yeah, I, I could try a, you know, a claimer or a Calbred type trying a one other than so. I went three, six, seven. I think the uh, the other horse that you want to give at least some consideration to is the one lovesick blues. He didn't have a particularly clean trip last time out against comparable foes down at Del Mar. Don't love the inside post here in this uh, six furlong race where they cross over the dirt early, but this is a horse who's run well sprinting on the lawn and he gets Juan Hernandez, which I will admit has been an incredible upgrade um, at Southern, in Southern California, even, even more so than I realized on the turf. Yeah, yeah, he's been he's been looking all right, uh, that's for sure. I like your ideas in the nightcap as well. Definitely going to put together a ticket for this late pick five. We're going to be starting our coverage next week of this new cross-country wager. Can't wait for that. That's going to be a lot of fun, combining some of the best races at Gulfstream and Santa Anita week in, week out. We're going to have more Santa Anita coverage as well. Check it out. Uh, we're, you, know, you know, you're listening to this now, so you figured out uh, where to get your podcast. One other thing I will mention, though, is to check out the website for Dean Kepler's daily uh, analysis in Southern California on racing days in the moneypodcast.com for that. Lots of good ideas from Dean. We'll have him back on these airwaves soon. Nick will surely have you back on these airwaves soon. We've got some fun stuff to recap uh, early week next week and we'll look forward to chatting then and Godspeed. Enjoy the, the new year. You, you got any, uh, any special plans for, for new year's Eve? 
No, nothing special. Doing uh, so the last couple of years, I my wife and I had COVID last year, and two years ago my parents had COVID. So I we are actually going to be. Of course, my my dad's gone, but uh, my mom will come over on New Year's Day, and on New Year's Eve we're just going to do something simple. The uh, the three of us, so nothing nothing too wild. We'll uh, we'll be ho- hopefully we'll have decent college football games to watch on Saturday afternoon. But we know we'll have good racing no matter what. So plenty to look forward to. Happy New Year to everybody. I know I I can't I won't speak on behalf of Pete. He certainly has his own voice, but uh, bringing all of you this content really is a privilege. And so I'm very thankful to be involved. And I, I thank you and everybody who's gotten me more involved on the network. And it's been a very fun year. And I know we've got a lot more to look forward to. No doubt about it. That's great. Appreciate you you saying that and reminding me. Yeah, this is a significant show. The end of the year, and I mean, Nick hit the keynote. The, the, the shows are fun because people listen and enjoy and react, and we look forward to doing more and more of that. Trying to even build a little bit more of a community going forward. It's been a complete pleasure having you, Nick. And yeah, we're going to get you more involved as as the year goes on. And yeah, we'll have a pretty good idea of what our content's going to look like uh, and how we're going to roll it out. Probably do things a little bit differently, but you know, let us know what you think. Let us know what you, what you like, what you can't live without. If we change something up that you don't like, let us know that too. We can we can handle the constructive criticism around here. And just a couple extra thank yous. You know, I always do the main roll through the main crew, um, but you know, we'll start with the founding partners, Ten Strike Racing and Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. If you're looking for that end of year charitable gift. And it doesn't have to just be cash. You can donate stock as well. Um, Kim Weir is the person to talk to about all the particulars. You can reach out through our link, though, trfinc.org slash players. You know, 10 Strike, great friends, always fun to follow and uh, and handicap their horses. They're usually in the right spots and uh, cash lots of tickets, listeners, too, over the years, which is really cool. Looking forward to hopefully Looms boldly making his return to the races. And if you haven't been checking out what's been going on with the Marshall Graham interviews, you got to get on it. It's such good evergreen content for this time of year. Nick, you were one of the, you're you're the subject of one of those. I haven't heard yours yet. No, I think he's delayed mine. He's he's actually using the people that might be, people might be more interested in hearing. Um, You can hear, you can hear me on a regular basis, right? So nobody's, nobody's as concerned about that, but yeah, mine will be coming up. I caught, I think I've caught two of them so far. I'm going to, I'm going to definitely listen to the rest, but I listened to Maury and I listened to Kendra Carmouche. And so, yeah, they're great. They're, uh, they're a lot of fun and, and a great opportunity to get some insight into, to people and things going on in racing. Take this opportunity too to just thank the contributions all year of uh, James Millar, who's been helping us on the operation side, Kevin Murphy, social media, of course, producers Craig and AJ as well. It's uh, Tyler Wisman, the In the Money Plus editor, somebody else who just does a ton behind the scenes. So I'll take an extra opportunity to uh, to to thank as well. But again, the biggest plaudits. The biggest thank yous go to you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge champion Drew Cody. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatal. May you win all your photos and Happy New Year! <laughs>